Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish Football Podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Hello and welcome to Stop Hammerton. My name's Phil Whelans and joining me this week, uh, Jim Grant. Good evening. Hello, Jim. Hi, Hiya. Also, uh, also uh, hiding away in uh, in uh, Sussex or Suffolk. Sussex. Sam Delaney is with us. You've given away my location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is very problematic. Well, I think it's uh, I think it's a fairly uh, it's a fairly broad definition of where you are. Yeah, you don't know whether I'm West Sussex or East Sussex. Exactly. So you know, good luck finding me. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> good luck finding Sam in Haywards Heath. <laughs> um, and uh yeah so we uh we took a week off last week so um such is the thickness and fastness with which games are coming that um uh i've actually worn out a patch of carpet in front of my tv from taking a knee so much uh whilst <laughs> watching these games on television um in fact i've torn the meniscus in my knee as i think i've said uh, practically every podcast for the last few weeks mm-hmm. and uh, so my knee now cannot take uh, the amount of taking uh, that that it's having to take uh, and uh, these games are coming at the rate that means that just having taken a week off we've played three times since we last spoke to you we had uh, the rather disappointing spurs game then we had our very exciting chelsea game and our uh, the useful point we picked up at newcastle um so what do we make of this uh, uh slight turnaround in our fortunes um I think it, well, it's obviously welcome, um, but uh, we are also, it has to be remembered, relying on the catastrophically dismal form of the four teams below us. So yeah. it's been very, you know, it's been a nice combination of getting some points and, and a little bit of breathing space and the fact that, you know, teams that could have been breathing down our necks now aren't um, in quite the same degree. So 
yeah, it's been a really good week in that respect, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it has. It was very transformative, really, from sort of thinking we quite possibly are down, uh, where where three points uh, clear of the team below us, who are in fact outside of the uh, relegation zone. So um, at the moment, uh, if we can keep going, we're sort of um, uh, looking like we could claw our way out of this uh, mess. Um, yeah. But but the Chelsea game was great. The Chelsea game was uh, a good it game. Was an, it was an entertaining football match, whichever yeah. way you look at it. Um, and I think we, although we, you know, conceded a lot of possession, um, we created some chances and and I, I thought deserved it in the end. I thought, you know, obviously would have been happy with the point, but yeah, but yeah, when that winner went in, I thought, you know, I think actually we we we, we deserved that. What do you make of it, Sam? Oh, I absolutely loved the Chelsea game. I mean, it's really, you know, why you why you follow football. I mean, you know, it reminds you, doesn't it? Just as you're getting miserable about it all, yeah. um, a game like that, it really had everything in it. Yes. Yes. I, when, when we scored the winner, at which point I was perfectly happy with the point, by the way, because I was expecting nothing whatsoever from that game beforehand. I'd seen Chelsea against City. And they looked yeah. really, really great. And I thought, yeah, I mean, lambs the slaughter. And I thought that, you know, Moyes' entire strategy was to just focus on the easier, the, well, the supposedly easier run of games that we're coming into now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, I thought he'll have written this off. So, we, you know, we were getting the point. I was already chuffed. When Yarmolenko scored that goal, I mean, it was perfect. It was such a perfect moment in so many ways. You, you know, playing... Uh, one of your fiercest rivals, Frank Lampard's their boss. It's the last minute, right? Yeah. And yeah. our temperamental Ukrainian winger breaks free, right? Uh, and scores a, a, just a wonderful, like the consummate counter attack goal to yeah, win it yeah. with a minute left. It was just every single thing that you like to see happen in football all happened all at once. <laughs> was in the room with my wife and I, I, ju- I didn't know how I'd respond that I tend to try and I, I'm much less theatrical as I get older in terms of my goal celebrations mm-hmm. my responses to football I found that's just happened naturally right yep. uh, so I'm, I'm not someone who will uh, especially when I'm at home you know and you've got two young children asleep upstairs really go for it but I've got to tell you lads when that goal went in uh, you know, so I don't know whether it was a spirit overtook my body or what, but I simply involuntarily jumped to my feet, punched the air and shouted the worst possible swear word at the top of my voice. Right. At, at whom? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether it was at myself or at Andre Yarmolenko or at Frank Lampard, quite possibly at God. Or, you know, God, as however we all understand it. I mean, yes, we all have different yes. interpretations of what that is. Um, I think it was maybe that. I think it was the months of frustration in lockdown, the mm-hmm. years of frustration following West Ham. All those things came out once. And I just shouted the word cunt at the top of my voice, woke the kids up. But, <laughs> you know, those are the moments you cherish and you live for, aren't they? Yes. At one terse monosyllable sums up. Yeah. Uh, the entire human experience. Uh, it does, really. It yeah. does. It does. We've been, um, sometimes you just want to let it all out, don't you, at once? <laughs> yeah. 
we've been um, like Zoom watching these games, these last few games, and it's really good. It's really good, you know, having having you know people to kind of chew it over with as it's going oh, on. That's good, yeah. But we um, and we hit upon the, uh, the the technique last time of sort of synchronising screens. Right, that, okay. that Chelsea one, I was about a minute and a half behind everyone, and it did take the gloss off it because I I knew that we'd scored before from everyone's reaction, you know. So I was still waiting for it to happen. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah, that's, I, that's a, I, I mean that is. Of you, of I've your, got to say, Jim, that is um, that logistically speaking, that is schoolboy era stuff. I mean, it is, really, you know, it still uses dial-up. I mean, it's. <laughs> I love the idea of a Zoom watch along with your mates. That's great. But, you know, the basics are you've got to be watching at the same time. And to be fair as well, you had the whole game to work out that you were on a delay. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah. up to other people to let me catch up, isn't it? That's the thing. Mm-hmm. I can't do anything about that. I can't fast forward. Can't you? Live. No. Not if it's, you know. Not live. Not, no, you can't fast forward real life. No. I don't understand how you were behind if you hadn't accidentally paused at some point. No, because different feeds, different, you know, depending uh, on what platform or whatever. Oh, I see. You weren't all watching it on. You weren't all. I was watching it. Watching it on Sky. Mine comes through cable, and it's and it's it comes at a different time than the feed. If you're on this is chaos. This is chaos. This is and it's not just um, Phil. You were about. Two minutes behind in that Spurs. Do you know what? This yeah. story, I'm getting stressed just hearing it, right? <laughs> this is why I never socialise with anyone. This is why I, I I sit alone and watch the football yeah. and, and and don't really have a social life either. Because things like this, you know, the involvement of other people always ultimately gets in the way and complicates matters, doesn't it? <laughs> Hell is other, other people, people, isn't it, Jim? It really Who's, is, yeah. Hell is other people? Sorry? Who said that hell is oh, all people? It was There's Jeff Pike. Jeff Pike said it yeah, in right. 1986 yeah. in the in our ill-fated title running. I remember him saying it on Match of the Day. Right, right. He was right. a very he was a very contemplative man, Jeff Pike, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He had a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, deep thoughts about uh, that particular season, uh, the 85-6 yeah. season. And life. He was just sort of like, I don't know, he was sort of like the Jean-Paul Sartre of West Ham. <laughs> He'd have a blog now, wouldn't he? He would. Doubtless. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you think of him with his little beard, he did look like some sort of, you know, um, Parisian sort of gitan smoke. You could see him in a polo neck sitting outside a coffee bar. Yeah, yeah. Are on the old left back, didn't you? When a lot of former players were doing their coaching badges, he was doing a, a master's in philosophy at yeah. a, a Imperial College. Like, to be honest, to be honest, Jim, I just trying to make sense of the human condition. Yeah, 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 yeah. And who can blame him? Aren't we all? You know. Absolutely. Uh, the early part of that game uh, added to its kind of. Uh, you know, perfect shape because we were sort of uh, we were hard done by in the early stages of that game. We had a we had a perfectly good goal uh, chalked off, and uh, VIR seems to have got a bit mad in lockdown. Every time I see match of the day, there's some mm-hmm. stupid decision being made yeah. by the people mm-hmm. of yeah. Scotland Park. Um, it's, it's it's really quite disastrous, and that goal 
you know, seemed like it should have stood to us. And then they went up the other end almost instantaneously, and that bloke just dived for a penalty, and somehow that wasn't picked wow. up by VAR and stuff. You know, it's sort of just incredibly unfair. And uh, the fact that we sort of turned it around and then they hauled themselves back and then we got yeah. the winner added to the, you know, the fact that that, that, that game could have been written by a skillful a writer as, say, Jeff Pike. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, VAR was, was, was not doing well before lockdown. And you, I agree, I think there's been a series of even more bizarre decisions since and um i mean that i think it's just such so frustrating it, it was a thing that people felt if you'd have asked a lot of fans before it was introduced um do we need video technology technology probably the majority would have said yes we do to clear up those really unfair you know um injustices you know the really bad errors where somebody gets it totally wrong we weren't expecting, you know, three minutes of people farting about on a computer with little lines and grids just to see if someone's kind of bollock is offside. And it, it's, it is, um, it's got to change. It can't, it's, there, there must be some kind of review of it plan. And they surely, if there are a few sane people anywhere near that review, it's going to have to, it has to change. If yeah. it isn't obviously wrong the first time you look at it, then, then it wasn't obviously wrong then, was it? And so, therefore, it might be a millimetre in it one way or the other, but it's not essentially a mistake, is it? No, I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? It's the, it, it, you want to use technology to make something kind of definite or to find a finite yeah. solution to a problem. But what happens now is that um, the referee makes a decision, then a video is watched of the incident and then some other people just make another decision that's completely subjective. So it might as well just be the referee. If it's a kind of, if it's, if it all comes back to a sort of matter of opinion after the first matter of opinion has been overturned, it's pointless. It's just yeah. doing the same thing twice. I totally agree. And I think you should put the, the, um, the responsibility back in the hands of, uh, of, of the referee. Absolutely, yeah. The referee, if the referee, that's what they do in rugby, the referee's in charge of the game. And if he sort of, if there's something he's not quite, oh, I'm just not quite sure whether there was a kind of an offside at that point. <laughs> Could you just quickly check that for me? And it should all be audible to the to the crowd and to the you know, television. So there's not, it's not just some kind of secret thing, arcane thing going on somewhere. Um, so that you're, you're, you know what's what's happening and what's exactly being checked, which is exactly how they do it in rugby. Um, yeah. And then if it's not, you know, if 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 the referee and the linesman are essentially satisfied and they think they've got that right and there isn't a need to check, don't check. There's no, no you know, um, uh, yeah. And I agree with you. It's audible now because there's no crowd noise, so we yeah, can hear yeah. the tiniest yeah. conversation between each other. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's mm -hmm. very you know, I watch it with the subtitles on because sometimes I can't quite make out <laughs> what they're saying. But um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I've, I mean, obviously, I've always watched European games with the subtitles on uh, because they're wonderful. Uh, they speak so well, the Italians. Um, but uh, do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, and uh, it was um, 
it was a great performance. I, I think something that's not really mentioned enough is that the sort of the, the one of the transformative things was the return of Og Bonner, who I think had a lot yeah. to do with us playing. Yeah, well, he's a leader, isn't he, in defence? That that's yeah. the key thing. I mean. You know, I think Diop plays much better next to him because he's obviously, you know, more of a sort of a mental figure. He does the shouting. You need a player like that. And, yeah. I, you know, I think Og Bonner really has been a great signing for West Ham. I think he must have been at the club about five years at least now. Yeah. Um, I, can't, I can't remember, yeah, if he was signed when Billich first arrived or the season before that. I'm not sure. I think maybe it was when Billich arrived. But he was... Absolutely, he's he's been brilliant, and he's had the odd dip in form where people have questioned him. But you look yeah. at him now, and I think he's actually grown. I think he could be the best he's ever been right now because he's he's sort of got this maturity. He leads he leads the defence. He organises them. He's he was fantastic again against Newcastle. I thought, and I think he's really really important. If anything, I think that Bonner's quite underrated by by West Ham fans. Massively, massively. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think he's brilliant. You know, I mean, it was, we signed him as an Italian international yeah, defender yeah. who had been playing in the Champions League with Juventus that, that Juventus, season. Yeah. So, oh, you know, and, he, and he's, you know, for any player in this day and age who has remained at your club in the first team consistently for five years, it, the way that players get turned over now, you know, there's a churn. I yeah. think, you know, it, it, it always that constitutes a very successful signing. I mean, you know, even Lanzini, who I think, like most people, I've gone right off over the last, probably more than a season, even, even last season, I was saying, this bloke's become a bit of a charlatan, right? But he, um, but even he, you know, although he didn't ever deliver on the initial promise he showed, he is a player who we signed for next to nothing from an obscure yeah. Middle Eastern club. And... You know, you might not think he's a world beater, but he's consistently been a first team player for five years. Some of the players we signed under Slavin Bilic were amazing, especially when you compare them to <laughs> the sorry um, procession of players signed by Manuel Pellegrini. I yeah. mean, if you compare their their relative activities in the transfer market, I mean, quite aside from the fact that Bilic was the guy who signed uh, Payet. But, you know, a, a bunch of other players who came in under, under him, you know, when have, have sort of been the backbone of our side. Yeah, um, his first wave of signings was definitely he, good. Uh, don't, forget, don't forget he signed Antonio as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Who uh, I'd say is probably West Ham's, West Ham's most important player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's uh, he's massively overlooked, Togbono, and I don't understand why. He quite often is brought back into the team to uh, solidify things and to kind of stabilise things. When Moyes came in, I think he identified Ogbonna as uh, his man at the heart of the defence, you know, yeah. and, and had him, Rice and Cresswell in, in that back three. Yeah. Uh, similarly, there was a kind of rocky period last season, which coincided with Ogbonna being dropped in favour of Balbuena. And then Balbuena, I can't remember, maybe his form sort of dipped off or something, or perhaps he got an injury. I think he did. Ogbonna came in and and actually we had a fairly strong end to the season. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, you know, Balbuena is one of those players who has a decent game once in a while, looks fantastic, but he's always an accident waiting to happen. Yeah. Diop, Diop, I think, you know, still has the potential to grow into a, a really I think he's still learning. Yeah, I think yeah. he could he could become 
become a seriously first-class defender. But at yeah. the moment, yeah, he's still learning. But it'll benefit him. If we stay up, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but if, if we stay up, you start looking at how the team needs, to, what the squad needs done to it uh, in, in the summer and going forward. And because it remains a sort of a hodgepodge of signings by a combination of Billich, Pellegrini, David Sullivan and David Sullivan's children. Um, yeah. There's no there's no sort of rhyme or reason to it. So it needs some surgery. But actually, if I look at the centre-back positions, I think, well, I'd be happy. It's one of the few areas of the, of, of the pitch where you think, I think the full-backs need looking at, for sure. But the yeah. two set of Bonner and Diop, I think it's a decent Premier League partnership, isn't it? I mean, I don't know what Winston Reid's doing at his club at the moment, but um, we probably need to get another one because we're sort of, you know, Moyes. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd probably sell Balbuena. Yes. Yeah. And, well, and bring in a younger. I do. Mm. You, you you need four. You need four yeah. potential first team centre halves. It's an attritional position. Yeah. You get injuries there. Yeah, um, it seems to be the the position where you get most injuries, really, or at least yeah. we've done over yeah. the years. Yeah. 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 Um, but we've done quite well for centre halves in 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 you know in recent times. Um, and and I Bonner's right up there with with the best in recent times. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. a good. He's a decent footballer. He wins things in the air. He's canny. He knows when just to put a foot in. You know, he, he, the professional foul is is um, something he's very very good at. <laughs> yeah, and, and you, you look at the one. team; it has you know it has leaders in it for this fight. Um, uh, we, you know, there were some people saying over the last few weeks, "Does this team have leaders? Does this squad have leaders?" After we lost to Wolves and Spurs, people were questioning the character. Of the uh, of the you know of the squad we had to face up to this relegation battle, and I thought you know like you, you, the three of us have sat and spoken about so many relegation battles with so yeah. many different managers and squads. You know, like yeah. um, it was funny. Rashane, who I do the UIs podcast with, it was writing for the Athletic, and he said I, I was doing an article where I spoke to ex West Ham pros about what it's like to be in a relegation battle, right? And I said, well, that must have been one of the easiest things to research ever because literally any West Ham player who's played for us for the last 30 years, it's not a joke. I sort of thought to myself, any player who's played for West Ham in the last 30 years will have been involved almost certainly in a relegation battle of some sort at some point. Not all, you know, and a lot of them have successfully won that battle and some of them lost it. But it's just astonishing. Anyway, we've sat through so many and we've seen... Some squads where both the manager and the squad give you so little hope, you know, so little hope. And I thought that's not the case with this squad because, of course, we have talent. I don't think anyone doubts that there is talent in this squad, right? But mm. but also, I look. I thought, well, you know, obviously, Nobes is, is has always been a good captain, but Rice now is developing into a new leader. And then you've got players like Cresswell, like Ogbonna. And, you know, and even Antonio, I think the way that Antonio plays the game is quite, should be inspirational to the other players around him, you know. Mm -hmm. And and I mean, I think, um, you know, moving on now to uh, uh, Suchek and Bowen, I think those are two. Fantastic. That's, you know, it's like the Venn diagram of talking about um, the club's recruitment policy but also characters on the pitch. They sort of yeah. fit neatly into both of those categories because Suchek, yeah. um, 
you know, is well up for it. He's well up for playing for the club. He's yeah. well up for trying to keep us up. And he just leads by example. Yeah, he's yeah just they're both they're both great. Um, they're talented players, but they yeah. are both bloody hard workers. I yeah. mean, you know, Bowen coming out of that game against Chelsea, it's one of those games that you get once or twice a season where you go, who played? You just say everyone played well. Yeah, every yeah. single player played well, right? And so it was hard to pick a man in the match. But Antonio was extraordinary. Um, Rice was fantastic. Or Bonner was fantastic. But, you know, Bowen, the only reason Bowen had to go off, you know, which ultimately ended up being a good thing because Yarmolenko came on, was because he was exhausted. Because yeah. he had run up and down that wing nonstop all night. Yeah. And, he'd go, and he's like an absolute train as well, the speed he runs at. But yeah. it's not just blind running either. I mean, you know, I love Antonio. He's probably my favourite player. He's my son's favourite player. We're big fans of Antonio, right? He's a hero. But Bowen is like Antonio, but with a little bit more guile. Oh, definitely, yeah. You know, and very similar in that he's powerful and quick and direct. But if you look at the assists he's got, I think he got two against Chelsea and two against... Yeah, you think he got two against Chelsea and... Was it two against Newcastle? He certainly got the first assist. And then the second one, I think, was one of his corners, wasn't it? But in any case, you know, his final ball, both against Chelsea and Newcastle, to to Antonio, he showed composure. He looked up. He knew exactly where to weigh the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't just just a blind, I'm just going to get it in the box and hope for the best, which is what we see from a lot of our players, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I mean, those two players just, you know, like straight out the box, it was like they were, you know, they were like plug-and-play footballers, weren't they? And it's Very like much, yeah. footballers felt like they used to be like that. Like I remember when we signed Michael Hughes and the first time he yeah. ran out of the pitch, he had a fantastic game. So Trevor Sinclair. Trevor Sinclair. Do you remember we signed yeah. Trevor Sinclair and I think we drew yeah. two all with Everton and Sinclair scored twice. Both. Yeah. yeah, just came and out there and did what he'd done at And that, now this, this whole narrative exists now, which is, well, it often takes a player, you know, yeah. a, a season to adapt to the rigours of the Premier League and you think, well, that's a bit of a let-off. If you spent millions of pounds, like, you know, you look at Haller, who is someone I yeah. don't have much sympathy with, uh, and Felipe Anson, who's someone I've got even less sympathy with, right? Yeah. And you think, yeah, if we've spent 45 million on you, we'd rather not take a year for you to settle in. <laughs> I think that's fine when we've spent, like, 4 million, maybe. Suchek's first but game was... 5 million. That- I don't spend, it's, like buying, it's like buying a really good car. Right, yeah. and then it doesn't really go very well. And the fucking salesman who you've just handed over sixty grand to said, "Well, I mean, come on, mate, don't be impatient. It's going to yeah, take yeah. a year for you to wear it in." Absolutely, absolutely. And um, I think Suchek's first game was that Bournemouth match, wasn't it? And uh, I think so. I think it was the Bournemouth game, and he was just everywhere. He was trying to get on the end of stuff right from the first whistle. He's trying to kind of yeah. uh, score goals as well as be the kind of midfield anchor. Basically trying to just do everything straight well, from the first whistle. And you I, can... I, I don't know if um, this is, you will regard this as um, praise or, or like a slight, but I think that he, Moyes, funnily enough, will see him as his um, new Fellaini. Because yeah. Fellaini was obviously crucial to Moyes' success in the later years at Everton. And then he took him with him to United, where actually, you know, he was quite an effective player at United too. 
And what was interesting about Fellaini was you couldn't quite work out whether he was a, a, just a, a defensive destroyer or their biggest goal scoring threat. Well, and that's it's right. Very uh, similar, a super tall midfielder who puts it about, but also pops up consistently to score goals. Yeah, I mean, really yeah. similar I think, player. I think that's a very good uh, shout. I think I think he's he's exactly in that mould. Mm. Um, gets gets into instinctively gets into good positions in the box. Uh, you know, feeds off scraps. I mean, he took his goal against Newcastle really well. Actually, wrapped his foot around it. Folly. Kind of Folly just. You know, just uh, just made that little yard of space yeah, in the box and anticipated the ball. You know, he was ready for the ball to come off the bar, and the defender wasn't. And um, you know, like likewise, just getting up above Aspilicueta for the for the header against Chelsea. You know, he's yeah. he's tall. He's a threat. He's going to be a threat from set pieces. You know, and and create space for other people to to potentially score goals and yet also he breaks play up you know he uh yeah he, i mean know, it, it's sort of interesting because he's he he's when you see him and rice together uh obviously you know we're interested in rice's development and and also how he might be deployed uh in an england shirt that he he because st- I'm still not quite sure what sort of a player Rice is. Rice is growing in confidence a lot and is carrying the ball uh, into the, the other team's half a lot more and is being part of the build-up play, which Suchek seems to just do naturally. That's that he, It's like he's always done that. And like, you know, in a way, um, Carrick, you know, Carrick is like that. And I wonder, I think when I, we were talking on New Irons about him, I was sort of going... If 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 he if his ambition is to eventually be a sort of Ross Barkley, uh, at the moment he's like a converted centre back who's playing in midfield. Wow, it's yeah. more like I, Gareth Barry in a way. I think, I and there's think nothing wrong with you, that. I think you underrate Declan Rice to an enormous extent. Uh, I mean, not just on the basis of what you just said, but you know we've had discussions about this before, like you said, like we did on New Irons and other times. I think what Declan Rice is is a complete midfielder, right? I think that he uh, is capable of being any sort of midfielder. I think we've only seen glimpses of how good he is on the ball. Um, But, but, you know, both in terms of, you know, Declan Rice has got a trick. He can go, he can go past the player if he needs to. He just doesn't do it for the sake of it. He can play long passes, short passes. He's got incredible vision. If you look at the way he cleared the ball, it looked like a hit and hope clearance for the uh, which started the move that led to the winner, Yarmolenko against <laughs> Chelsea. But in actual fact, what he did was in a in a, in a split second when it was back to the wall defending, he kind of had a look over his shoulder and played it perfectly up to Antonio first time, which is. You know, I don't say it lightly, but that's a Bobby Moore type, you know, the, the sort of thing that you see clips of Bobby Moore doing where he sort of clear it, but play a precision ball. I think Declan Rice is, it's hard. I certainly wouldn't compare him to Barkley. I definitely wouldn't replace it, but compare him to Gareth Barry. I would say Gareth Barry is, you know, he's light years ahead of him in terms of technique. And Ross Barkley, to me, is one of the numerous cut price gazers that England have produced over the years it's never quite lived up to it I think Declan Rice if I compare him to any player in English player at the moment I suppose he'd be like uh, um, Henderson in as much as he, he I think he will ultimately yeah. end up being like a box-to-box Brian Robson type player 
who can break play up when we're out of possession. But when we're in possession, he can create attacks and I think he'll become more of a goal scorer. Uh, I, if we I can play someone like, who will sit behind him and let him do all that yeah. stuff. I, I think with, alongside um, someone like Suchek, he's going to have the freedom to do that a lot, a lot more. They're really, you know, they've only played a few games together and they're beginning to look like a really, really solid central midfield partnership. I think those I think two is, four nows ahead of them, like next yeah. season, that is three of three very good you know these are the three three of the best young midfielders in Europe you know um and for now I think is improving all the time and I, I would be very happy with that as a midfield three next year I, I agree I do agree I think um I think for nows is is one of those sort of players who is un, a bit under the radar at the moment he's been putting in quite I think some very very good performances. I thought he was excellent against Chelsea. Um, really good. A lot of people didn't. <laughs> um, I thought he was and, great. That pass uh, he played to there was that passage of play for the second goal where Antonio thought he'd been pulled down by maybe Rudiger. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe he had. And so many times, certainly with West Ham, but with all teams, you would see a, a, an attack kind of break down and fizzle out at that point, right? Because they'd start arguing with the ref or they'd get distracted. And four nows received the ball. And it was the way that he played an extremely positive pass really quickly first time into the path of Bowen. Yes. Allowing him, him to break into the box and cross for Antonio. Yeah. It was really instinctive. It was quick. And it's what West Ham have lacked. And that leads to be honest, sorry to, to go on a tangent, but actually it's very relevant, is that that's what we don't have when Mark Noble is playing in the team. Right? The ball is... It, you know, I love Mark Noble. Uh, fantastic. I want him to stay at the club in any capacity for as long as possible. But at the moment in this battle, West Ham with Mark Noble in midfield, and you saw it yesterday when he came on as sub as well. The, the ball, he slows... We become yes. predictable. Yes. We become slow. We give other teams the chance to drop back in numbers. And he is the the worst sort of midfielder to have if you're going to try and rely on fast counter-attacking football because he needs too many touches on the ball. He's ponderous. For now's received that ball. It was all a bit chaotic. There was things going on, but he had the vision and the confidence to look up and play it first time into yeah. Bowen's path. And, and that's the difference, you know. Yeah, you can add to that the fact that we had, we created a chance early in in the uh, in the half against Chelsea, where Antonio kind of whipped the ball across the face of goal, and and Lanzini didn't quite get on it. That all came from Fornells pressing um, by the corner flag. Yes, and he really, really puts a shift in his little touch, his little uh, contribution to the excellent breakaway goal that Yarmolenko scored was a little first-time ball once Antonio had laid it off. Yeah. Put Antonio into space. It was yeah. a lovely little yeah. touch. And then, if you look, he then out-sprints the entire Chelsea defence and he's there for the pass. Yeah. Um, You're screaming for Yarmolenko to pass it to him. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think, you know, he made a big mistake for the second Newcastle goal. Yeah. Um, but then he was doing what we complain so often about West Ham midfielders not doing. He was tracking back and chasing uh, back. And yeah, he just didn't, yeah. he just loitered and he should have run out and got into the defensive line. 
Um, and he knew yeah. he'd made a mistake because he was like appealing for I thought it was really funny when he put his <laughs> hand up. It was a bit like um, <laughs> offside. Either? No, all right. Are you sure? Because I felt like it was offside, but <laughs> I mean, because I'll tell you now, I was definitely in line, so I don't know if someone else wasn't. It was one of <laughs> but we'll forgive him because he's. Uh, I really, I really like him, and I think that. You know, Lanzini has let us down for a couple of years on the whole. And Four Nows is a ready-made replacement, better version. I'd be happy to see, you know, in the summer, I don't know how much money whoever our manager is is likely to be given. But if we stay up and we don't have much money to spend, I would like to see Lanzini and Anderson at the very least sold off to fund, you know, some 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 more players in the mould of Bowen, players who've come in from the championship and are hungry and have got something to prove, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I, that's a real shame. I loved Lanzini, um, mm. and it's. I think he's been a little bit better since the uh, since coming yeah, back. Yeah, the last two, games, the last two games, I, I Chelsea. Yeah, I've been. I prefer to see him in that midfield than Noble. Because again, he plays quicker football. He plays one-touch football, you know. So, but he's never ever going to be the player that we all dreamt that he would be, you know. Well, at the moment, it looks like that. You know, that very bad knee injury he had I think- uh, has has stripped him of a bit of pace, and you know, uh, yeah, it's a shame. Um, but I, I think he's, you know, I think he's. Uh, been all right these games he's been part of a team that's put in good performances you know I don't think he's completely sort of letting the side down he's just not kind of pulling up trees so much Uh, anyway we'd better take a little break now and uh, we'll see you after this message if you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct Something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen. Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back. Um, We touched on it uh, before the break, but... um you know, Noble was out for uh, one game, basically, but we have played very well uh, with uh, Suchek and Rice in that role. And I wonder whether, um, you know, Moyes likes to stick with uh, the team that played very well in the last game. So it's quite possible that it might be more difficult for Noble to get back into the side. Uh, yeah. And But that's probably, that probably is a good thing. I it, mean, would be a bit, it would be a big error for him to, you know, I'd really question Moyes now, his judgment big time yeah, if he yeah. brought Noble back in and it would suggest as well that Noble had an unhealthy amount of you know of pull and influence in, in the club if he got back into that team that's just pulled off four points and let's be honest we, we none of us thought we were going to end up with four points from those games I don't yeah. think 
and, 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 you know, and uh, to a large extent, both those performances were a direct result because we were pretty abject against Spurs and Wolves, right? Yes. And, and yeah, then uh, we, yes. we went from that to being the best word to describe our performances against Chelsea and Newcastle is dynamic, right? Yes. Suddenly we yeah. look like a dynamic team full of running, full of ideas, full of positive intent. The difference, I think the key thing is is Noble. And, you know, this isn't me questioning anything about Noble's attitude, commitment or anything. I just no. think, you know, he's, he's getting older. And yeah, so he, yeah. he can't play at the pace that we, we want to play at. We've built an otherwise young, quick team that we've got at the moment. And yeah. so he's, 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 it's not really going to work with him. Yeah. Well, I well we, 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 on the one thing that was always a bit of a question mark about him anyway, wasn't it? Even when he was younger and fitter, he was a bit, he was a bit slow, slow. had a tendency. You know, he's always been a great passer of the ball, mm. always been, you know, 100% committed and puts a great shift and gets around the pitch, but just doesn't get around the pitch particularly quickly, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, those, um, those Wolves and Spurs games, we, we didn't score and we didn't look terribly likely to score, whereas before uh, the coronavirus, we'd had some very good performances with yeah. quite a kind of enterprising lineup um, with... Uh, a front three of Alaire, Antonio and Bowen mm. with uh, Fornals behind them. And that's like four attacking players yeah. at the front of that sort of midfield. And um, part of the reason for that was that Suchek missed those games through injury. So uh, we kind of had Rice and Noble and then four attacking players in front of them. And yeah. we sort of returned to that because of Noble's injury. So now we had Suchek and Rice and managed to include four attacking players because yeah. we just didn't look like scoring in those Wolves and Spurs games. And, I mean, you know, no. we've got to dig ourselves out of a hole. And also you've got to give the other team something to think about, haven't you? You can't just oh, soak it up. yeah. Can't I think, soak it up and be organised no, because you'll always right. get stung by a late goal or something. Mm. I think that's mm. absolutely right. I think Yarmo's earned a shot at the start, providing they think he's match fit enough. Um, and and I, I could happily see Bowen come over on that. He could play either side, I think, Bowen. He's left, left footed yeah. anyway. Yeah. So I'd like to see him come over to the left, Yarmo on the right. Antonio, for the moment, has obviously got, there's no one else to fill in it. Uh, centre forward and I agree I'd, I'd have four, four nails in behind them and then you know Suchek and uh, and Rice and I think um, you know, yeah I mean the, the only thing about Yarmolenko is that I mean you know if you look at it since he's been at the club he's never had a run in the team because he's had so many injuries but yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he, he's popped up with quite a few like classic goals for West Ham I mean well, that, um... when, when he eventually leaves the club someone in years to come who was who doesn't remember going in this era? Someone who's now just a youngster, and when you he'll look back on clips and he'll think, bloody hell, we had a legendary player called Yarmolenko, and he'll go, no, he's a bit part player, really. But when it, but it, when he's ever had a chance, he tends to pop yeah. up with incredible goals. But what I would say is, is that I've I've never really seen him from the start dominate. You know, be able to go through a whole game because he kind of looks he, he of course, isn't the the quickest. You know, he's not a quick player. And he, but also he just, um, he just look, can look a bit leggy. I love him off the bench because he, you know, when the, when the defence is looking a bit tired and slow, he can come on and taunt them with his, um, you know, his constant cutting inside and getting uh, those crosses yeah. in and those shots in sort of thing. So I'm not, I'm not, I, I would love him to be someone who could 
play like that throughout a game, but I, I'm not always convinced by his ability to do so. But he's, he's a very technical player as well. That that move at the end of the Newcastle game, which maybe we'll talk about that game in more detail, but the, the thing that ended up with his shot yeah. uh, involved two tricksy back heels from both him and Suchek. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, you know, the, 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 there's a lot to be said for being able to sort of bamboozle the other team with your trickery. There was a great game uh, last season where Yarmolenko and Dan Outovic played, and essentially they seemed to try and play the entire game just with back heels. Um, <laughs> and, um, and it was, you know, it was great to see because they were, you know, things like flicks, nutmegs and back heels, they are things that make life difficult for your opposition. You know, it's not just... Um, when I was a kid, I felt like West Ham were the team who did all that stuff and the other teams didn't really do it much. And yeah. now it's bloody the other way round. Yeah. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah, in the yeah. 80s, and I suppose it was the same in the 70s probably as well, is that we were the team who didn't really win all the time, but at least you'd always see kind of outrageous technical tricks that yeah. no other clubs yeah. would attempt. And that was kind of one of the reasons I was attracted to West Ham. Yeah, but, yeah. For many years, it's sort of been, oh, that's what the other teams do now. Now everyone's got fancy Dan players. Well, I mean, the Redknapp years, you know, I, I, I watched all of those um, vids that Rob Banks put up, and I know we've talked about this, but, um, you know, that the Redknapp years are just full of players like that. And someone who actually, like you were saying about somebody looking at um, uh, old videos of West Ham in 10 years' time and seeing this at the Yarmolenko guy. Uh, Radichoy, who's like that, hardly ever got a run out for West Ham, but a yeah. highlights reel makes him look incredible. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 He was. I mean, I think he was, um, you know, quite hard done by by Harry. Harry just took against him because of this possible shopping trip that we're not in fact <laughs> entirely sure really happened and just didn't want to play him anymore. And, what about Paolo Futre? He played one game against Southampton and looked like Diego Maradona. He did, And I yeah. don't think he played again. <laughs> no, no. Well, one one of these days we should do a highlights real 11, which is 11 players who had at least one game where they looked world class, but it was just the once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, Samasi Abu looks uh, amazing on a on a highlights reel, and I think I think he was really good. I think I think Abu was a was a terrific player, but he I'd was my favourite all time West Ham performance was uh, by Hugo Porfirio, yeah, diminutive Portuguese winger. I can't remember who it was against, but I remember turning to someone in a Bobby Moore stand to a mate and saying, "From now on," he always reminds me of this. He goes, "I remember the time you turned to me and said, from now on." The only subject I'm prepared to discuss with anyone is Hugo Porfirio. Right, right. Because I'd fallen for him so hard. But then he disappeared as well. I remember Disco Danny looking like a world beater for a couple of matches. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And in fact, Harry Redknapp went off him because he went to a disco. He went to a disco, didn't he? And and Harry Harry could really sort of just suddenly take against a yeah. player. Really nastily. But then he, Harry did also, it is, Harry did say, I didn't know whether to pick him or fuck him. Didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think Harry was very conflicted in his feelings for Danny. And in the end, almost as if to prove something to himself and the world, and no doubt his Sandra, he turned very publicly on him yeah, and, yeah. and cast him out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whilst uh, secretly turning away and weeping. Yeah. Get that! Yeah. I was never confused. 
Get out of my sight. You're sick of me. <laughs> Don't yeah. go. Danny, my Danny. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, but the, um, you know, the Newcastle game was, uh, well, we got a point out of it. It was good. Sort of felt like we... Um, um, felt like we sort of dropped points in that game. You know, we we well, led, we won. Yeah, we we led twice, won. didn't we? Yeah, should've you won. get ahead in a game like that where you you know you are playing well. Uh, it's just it was just lack of concentration, wasn't it? Um, that uh, that that gave it away. But both times, really, just just you know, to both both cases, too close to when we when we'd uh, gone ahead. Sucker punches, but, weren't they? Both no, of them sucker punches. punches. Yeah. But we, you know, we 17 shots in that game to their 11. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, and a good number of them on target. So we had what, great chance. Bowen what a was turnaround. very unlucky when he... Sorry? What a turnaround, though, from after the Wolves and Spurs games where everyone's criticism was that we just didn't look like we'd ever be able to score. Yeah. And the but next two performances, it's like you've got to hand it to Moyes. He's changed the lineup. He's best changed yeah. tactically. But something makes me feel that he's just said to them in training... Do you know what? Just fucking do, you know, just have a laugh. Play how you want to play. Yeah. I spoke to Bobby Zamora last week and he said, I said, what happened in that great escape season? What turned things around so dramatically? Because we looked dead and buried. And he said, well, when Curbs first came in, he decided that the problem was we weren't drilled or organised enough. So what he did was he started doing endless repetitive drills in training where we had to organise our shape and our bat line and all this. And it was over and over and over again. He was convinced that was the way to fix the problem. And he went, and the more we did it, the more knackered and disinterested we were and the more we lost. On uh, uh, and, and, it, and in the end, one day, like some of us just went up to him and said, Curbs, for fuck's sake, Gaffer, can, can we just play, have some fun today? Can we just play five a side or something? So he said, all right, last day of training of the week before the game, just we're just going to do some tactical stuff, shooting, crossing, and then some five-a-sides. So he said, we did it, and it was we were so happy because it had been so long without any of that freedom that yeah. the, next, the next day we won. And so <laughs> after that, Curbs just thought, fuck it. I think we're dead and buried anyway. I'm just going to let them do that in every training session. So we went in every day really enjoying ourselves, had a right laugh, remembered how we were all quite good at football and then just won all our games. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. The, that first part of that really just confirms my my vision of, of Kirby I think it's possibly my least favourite West Ham manager. <laughs> it's a real misery guts, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but but we um, yeah we you know with Fredericks back in the team uh, there's a bit of pace. Quite a few people don't uh, you know one of those guys we were watching it with on uh, Zoom yesterday. Jim really doesn't like Fredericks. Doesn't think he's any good. But I think um, I like him and I think he's got pace as well. And I think he puts in a good cross. And uh, yeah. we um, you know the team's more mobile as you say. Sort of uh, you know unfortunately Mark does tend to sort of slow things down a little bit. Helps us keep yeah. the ball. You know, unfortunately, uh, you know, sort of holding on to the ball for a, a few seconds and it really just delays us giving it away a little later on yeah. because yeah. the other team reorganises. So, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. I just hate it when teams, you know, when, when Premier League defences have got time to regroup and get men behind the ball, which is what Newcastle were doing yesterday, unless you have Dimitri Payet or Kevin De Bruyne, right? 
yeah. you are you are going to really struggle to break down those defenses when they have time to get people behind the ball. So with that, with you know, because you have to have a genius like Payet who is able to create a chance out of nothing whatsoever, right? And those players are few and far between. So unless you have players of that standard, which we don't. You need to be a team who can who can just stun teams on the break and use the small opportunities you get to just absolutely well, blast them. The first goal against Newcastle is a brilliant example of that, isn't it? Yeah. It's a great yeah. little bit. It's a great tackle by Cresswell. He just wins the ball back, shifts it forward um, to Antonio, lays it off really well to, to um, Fornals, and it's a brilliantly weighted ball into the path of Bowen. You know, it was... Uh, Proper counter-attacking football. It's really good to score. We've scored, you know, two goals like you know, a bit like that. Um, yeah, uh, within minutes of each other in actual playing time, um, and uh, that's really, really encouraging. And I think you're right. I think I think um, Noble in the side stops that happening because he'll do several turnaround circle, Monker yeah. circles before. I'd like to see you know what they should make whatever happens with the management situation in the summer I don't know how you two feel about that I don't know how I feel about it at the moment in terms of Moyes but I think that they should say to Noble that I think they should make him coach now player coach I think yeah you you used to get that you don't get it so much anymore but I think why not he's He's got a huge, you know, there's so many bad things about the way the club is run, but it would be such a brilliant positive statement that the fans could get behind. He has obviously, a he has the respect of the players and he has the respect of the fans and he has a perfect link between two. And, I, you know, I get the impression he understands football as well. When you hear him yeah. speaking about it, he's, a, you know, he's articulate, he understands it, he thinks about it. And I think, you know, I like seeing Kevin Nolan there on the touchline because he's yeah. someone with a lot of character Nobes obviously played alongside him. I assume they get along. I don't know. Um, and I'd just say make him now. So it's a statement of intent. So there's none of that stuff. Every time he gets dropped, there's people worrying, oh, God, I hope we don't cast him out or, you know, let him down like we've done to so many legends before. I say make the bloke play a coach now and give him a long contract so we know whatever happens he's going to be at the club. And then it's less of a big deal when a manager doesn't put him in the first team. Yeah, 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 I agree. Uh, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think, I think he's, you know, I think if he did want to, um, you know, go into coaching, I think he's a very interesting player because he's, you know, the, you get these players that go into management that don't, uh, you know, the, the, quite often the reason they go into management is that they played at a very high level. So they don't know necessarily what the struggle is like. And, you know, what it's like when things are going against you and trying to work out why things went against you. You know, it's like those sort of motivational speakers at conferences. They quite often get the CEO, some fantastic, you know, they get Elon Musk to come and talk to them about Mm. stuff. Quite often those people had a slice of luck and then never really had to struggle after that. It's much more interesting to be spoken to by someone who, you know, had a company that uh, didn't make it or had a company that crashed and burned, you know. Or just struggled through. Yeah, right, and never, never did terribly, but never did amazingly either. But just kept going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, Noble saw us in that, uh, you know, twenty fifteen sixteen season play extremely well with Pae. Then he saw what happened when Pae left, and things started to fall apart. And you know, he'll have insights about what makes that happen, and you know, possibly how you can prevent that happening. And, the you know, other interesting thing about Nobes, and it'll be interesting when he eventually writes a book, which presumably he will at some point, is that 
he was he served sort of as apprentice midfield apprentice first to Scott Parker, who I think is one of the best we've ever seen. People kind of forget that now because he went to Spurs, which showered it a bit. But yeah. um, unbelievable, like leader for West Ham. Yeah, and and Noble was alongside him, and then he left. And Kevin Nolan came in, very different sort of player. But again, he sort of took Parker's place. He became the captain. Noble played next to him. And then, and he was the apprentice again. And then when he eventually left, that was when Noble took over the armband. And then Rice became his apprentice. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. so he's got, I think his experience of, like, he had a block of time with each of those three players. And I think it's quite fascinating what he would have drawn from each because. Declan Rice, in a way, would have benefited from that as well because all the experience and know-how he got from first Scott Parker and then Kevin Nolan, Mark Noble, has now passed all of that onto Declan Rice. Yeah, yeah. And and talking of Moyes, you know, whether he'd be there in the summer and stuff, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, uh, I mean, obviously it's early, it's sort of early days in this little sort of renaissance and hopefully we will stay up. But I think his... um, Again, he's he's inherited a team really stripped of confidence and uh, just playing dreadful football as he did when he took over from Billich. Mm. Um, and you've seen him sort of mechanically do things to turn it around. It's a shame that the coronavirus hit when he did because we we felt you know I've never been so buoyed by two defeats in a row. You know, yeah. Like, we played well in that, um, that Liverpool and Arsenal games, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and um, uh, you know, it felt like it was, it was a bad time for us to stop, you know, because we were starting to get somewhere and it was proven to be a bad time to stop because we were fucking awful in the Wolves and Spurs games. Yeah. But, yeah. but you can see the decisions he's making. He is, I mean, he does seem, he's cautious. He's certainly cautious, you know, uh, those changes last time round after Billich, you know, took a few games to to for him to start to sort of put his ideas across to the players. But when he did, you saw what they were quite clearly. And, uh, you know, you're starting to see it now. He's starting to, you know, Suchek and uh, Bowen, I don't know how much he had to do with those, acquiring those players, but, you know, they are perfect. They are absolutely what we needed. Someone yeah. with a bit of steel in the middle of the park and someone with a bit of guile and pace up front. You know. I think he probably, if he keeps us up, I think he you have to give him a chance, don't you? I mean, it, it's yeah. never going to be the most exciting prospect for any of us. And I'll never be certain that he's going to deliver, you know, like mainly because, I mean, if you speak to Sunderland fans, I mean, bloody hell, they haven't got a good word to say about him. And it is worrying when you speak to fans of certain clubs, United fans too. But... I think, you know, if he's come in and rescued us twice, both times for just half a season and turned around teams that we knew looked like they were inevitably plummeting towards the championship, yeah. you just sit, you just simply have to give him a chance, don't you? Yeah. So. You, we went out and signed the big starry manager with the amazing CV in Pellegrini and it, and it just didn't work. So, no. you know. Yeah. I mean, I think Moyes was unlucky to be, in many ways, the anointed son of, of Ferguson. It was a yeah. kind of poison chalice. And also, the, the more the more managers that it. struggle yeah. at United, the less yeah. bad Moyes looks, doesn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Moyes' record was better than... Um, uh, uh, Van Hals. Oh, Van Hals, right. It's better. Well, Much better. Right. Yeah, I mean... 
I think they, you know, the fans were never ever gonna. They wanted a big name European manager, yeah. not another Dower Scott who had to, yeah. you know, build build a team. Yeah. Um, they were just expected the the success to carry on, and yeah. of course, in fact, that that Man United team had wound down under. You know, he had he hadn't started the process of rebuilding another one, so it was it was a really difficult, you know, and it. it he, he, like a lot of managers, you want someone you know brought in Fellaini that is not a kind of Man United style player, and and yeah. um, he was never, he wasn't properly backed, and he was never given a chance. And I think that must have, for someone who was actually building a really effective career from Preston, did a really good job at Preston, and then uh, Everton, where he was trusted and and had built, you know, a, a solid Premier League uh, outfit on not a massive budget. Mm. Um, it must have dented his confidence. I mean, he's had, you know, yeah. had a bad time after that. But, I mean, suddenly... You but know, he, he hasn't had a, I suppose you could argue, yeah, he just hasn't been given a chance at any of these clubs. Sunderland was a club that had been heading for relegation for many yeah. years. Yeah. He was getting um, the Titanic. So, he was uh, the Titanic, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, Sunderland was just a, anyone. I mean, yeah, Martin O'Neill, who I think is a fantastic manager, you know, struggled at Sunderland, didn't he? I mean, they, they yeah. went... Yeah. Um, Managers like nobody's business. Yeah. So, you know, maybe, yeah, I mean, the thing is with Moyes is the, 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 the way you'd get the best out of him, which is probably the same with most managers, is you have to give him what he had at Everton, which was a long run and complete trust. Yeah, uh, yeah. My, my concern is at our club and the way it's run by Sullivan and Gold and Karen Brady. Interesting. He's never going to be able to manage West Ham the way that he managed Everton. Because at Everton, he was clearly a, a guy who was, you know, he was the big figure at Everton. And, you know, what he said when and things revolved around him. And the reason we've got good men, good men yeah, Billich, Pellegrini, these are good fellas, aren't they? Like yeah. no one say, and, and Allardyce, you know, we, we weren't all fans of him inside football player, but this is a serious manager with an, an amazing CV. You know, these managers... You know, they're not all bloody Avram Grants, right? Most of them are good blokes, intelligent men who have been mm. successful managers. I mean, if it wasn't for Billich's period at West Ham, if I was looking, I said to someone the other day, if I was looking around now and people going, who would you like West Ham to get if not Moyes? All right, I'd be going, well, Billich, obviously. He's doing great at West Brom. He's getting them promoted in his first season. And he used to play for West Ham. Of course, we want Slevin Bilic. His assistant's Julian Dix. <laughs> you know, so you know these these guys get ruined by by the David yeah. Sullivan machine, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think <clears throat> I think Moyes will. Uh, you know, again, if he stays, he's actually done it before for a very short time. So he might have kind of got the measure of perhaps how to sort of deal with Sullivan and Gold and, you know, play to their egos and, you know, sort of get what he wants by stealth out of them. Mm. Um, the, the, crucial, the crucial thing will be whether or not he can persuade them to ch sort of change their we-must-sign-a-marquee-player-to-keep-the-fans-happy yeah. policy mm. uh, and instead be more, look longer term and be more strategic about signings. You know, as you yeah. say, younger, more dynamic players. Sure. And players with something to prove, like... Uh, we, we now know um, West Ham should never sign above themselves, right? Because if you go above yourself, if you sign players who have come from clubs that are already competing in Europe and who are already internationals, right, 
then they're not going to have patience if you're no. if the team doesn't do well. And also, they're just not going to be driven enough because they're constantly thinking, I should really be at United, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's what they think. That's what Felipe Anderson thinks. That's what Haller thinks. You know, but Bowen and Suchek, they're like, I'm in the Premier League. Here's my chance. This is fantastic. I'm going to prove yeah. myself, you know? Yeah. And yeah. they think, I, this is a step up. I've come to a When we signed Paul Goddard and Phil Parks from QPR... They perceived that as a step up and they were delighted to have been picked by West Ham, by John Lyle. You know, when you hear Mark Ward talking about how he wanted to, he would do anything for John Lyle. You know, he couldn't believe that John Lyle had picked, plucked him from obscurity at Oldham Athletic, you know. And there's something in that. And if you look at West Ham's history in those good old days, so many of our successful players were signed from... We very rarely got cast-offs from the bigger clubs. That wasn't really ever our MO, was it? No. And you should have, given the demographic of the area and the, and the, the, the traditional one, you should have a steady stream, you know, once every other season or something, a, a, a youngsters coming through who can play in the first team. Yeah. You should be building the academy. That's, that's been yeah. the strength of the club over many, many years. And you feel that that's been allowed to wind down a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, they let Tony uh, Carr go, you know, yeah, I think, I think that, that, that's been significant, really. And, um, uh, you know, and every so often you do pick up an experienced player who's not quite past it, an Nigel Winterburn or a, you know, and that, that's, that, that's OK. We've always done that. But I think you're right. It's, it's these people who think they're bigger than the club they're coming to. Yeah. Um, and Anderson, you know, what else explains his insouciance, his kind of shrug of a kind of indifference, uh, you know, um, and his failure to really kind of get get in any way committed in a game yeah. that he's playing. I mean, Sulkiness. he play again. We should no, just... I, I mean, I have no idea. I mean, he, he actually looks almost the opposite. He looks kind of just not confident. And when he came on against Spurs, I'd never seen a player who looked less like enthusiastic about. No. I mean, like he looked like he actively didn't want to come on, and it made me question Moyes because I was thinking, Moyes. Yeah. Can you not see that this player should like stick anyone on other than him? You know, he, yeah. he doesn't want to be there. But you, but you can, but I can picture what he's like in training. You know, he's down, you know, probably the best trainer on the football, the best talented, yeah, you know, the most talented footballer on the training ground, and that must be very seductive when you see someone who's just doing this incredible stuff five yeah. days a week. That you kind of go, oh, I better play him on Saturday. Maybe he'll turn it on. Yeah. You know, it only takes one moment to sort of turn the game and score. But I, but I absolutely, I mean, I completely agree. I thought when he came on for the last ten minutes of the Arsenal game before coronavirus, I just thought, you know, run around. You've got ten minutes. Uh, he yeah. just went well, and well, stood the, on. The, the sad thing about him is he gets the ball. And he will run if, if he gets a chance on the break, and he runs at a fullback. He never ever tries to go round him anymore, does he? No, it's weird. He always no. stops and passes inside, and that is when you see a, when a, when a winger consistently does that. You just know his confidence has gone to shot. He doesn't even want to try because he's too scared of failing. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's extraordinary. I mean, he's one of the, possibly the most extraordinary player I've seen for years. You know. <laughs> I thought so, um, I mean, every, every Matt was like that, but you know, Anderson's far more talented than the, Matt Jarvis. The, the oh, curious wow. case of Felipe Anderson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every so often, the club will post like a, a video of something miraculous he's done in training. They used to do yeah. that with um, with Morrison. 
you know. Oh, oh yeah, look yeah. It's amazing. And you go, well, that's a real giveaway, isn't it? If you're having to post videos of something they did on a training page. Yeah, exactly. Because you haven't got videos to post of them actually doing anything useful in a match. Yeah. yeah. So we... um. We should look at the you know next the next few games. We've got another game on Wednesday. Um, you know, talking of how well that team played in those other two games, uh, I you know it sort of occurs to me that we could really be wearing some of these players out, and there's injuries uh, mm. you know on the horizon. Um, we you know using the sort of five substitutes and also just rotating the team i wonder uh, what he can do i wonder if he's going to start with the same people we were saying you know does he kind of start yarmolenko for a game it seems difficult to play without antonio at the moment he seems to be like a talisman as well as you know doing well, his job and there is literally no one else. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, even if he didn't play centre-forward and you put someone like Yarmolenko down the middle, Antonio would still be on the wing. So Yeah, um, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Haller, Haller, he was supposed to be back for Newcastle. Now there's even doubts of whether he's going to be back for Burnley. So I don't yeah. know what the situation with him is. Moyes has said that he's he claims to have never seen a Jetty play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so that seems to be discounting him. I don't think Silva's been ever on the bench. Play, no, that's true. Yeah, um, yeah. So I suppose we just yeah, simply don't have any options. I suppose Silva, who seems to be, wasn't he on the bench? Sunday Silva. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. So if, if we if we had, I I think he'd be next in line if we had a serious injury, wouldn't he? Well, yeah, what would be yeah. nice would be to get properly up in a game and feel you so you could give. Uh, Antonio a break, you know. And Chuck Silver on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't really seen much of Silver. It sort of, made, it sort of no. makes you wish that we had Diangana just for his pace, you know. So yeah. you take Antonio off because you can probably leave one of Antonio or Bowen out there till the end of the game. But yeah. just, you know, rest one of them. But bring on somebody who's going to keep the pressure on the opposition rather than lead you to having to kind of sit deep and defend your kind of one goal lead until the other team... I'd love to see Dean Garner back at the club next season. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if that'll happen, but it'd be good, wouldn't it, after the season yeah, he's had at West Brom. He scored again at the weekend. Yeah. yeah. Well, having let that guy go, um, that we let go to Watford, who was the sort of... Yeah. The previous generation. Quinoa, which is yeah, quinoa, quinoa, yeah. the, the previous protein, generation. Protein-rich alternative to most grains. Yeah. Uh, you know, having let one go and then, you know, we're actually selling one of them, and then the next one, we let them go as well. It's like, do you literally not want young, pacey footballers at this club? It's like, just keep one of them, for God's sake. And Holland, Holland is the other one. He's off at Oxford, isn't he? But hopefully yeah. he'll be coming yeah. back too. Uh, is, that, is that, I think that's been a, haven't they permanently transferred him? Then Holland? Yeah. Is that right? Well, that would be a shame, because he no, was highly rated for a while, that. wasn't he? I, I, yeah, I might be wrong about that. Because, you know, just a bit of legs, just a bit of legs in the team to sort of yeah. like, you know, keep the pressure up on the opposition. And, you know, whether you're going for whether you're going for a goal or just trying to keep the opposition busy, you know, someone who can kind of come on and run about. But, uh, you know, we, 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 we've got sort of limited options, really, don't we, in terms of yeah. depth, squad depth, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, that's really becoming kind of a. Well, I tell you what, if we got a, if if Fredericks gets injured, we're right up shit creek, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. Where's Johnson? I guess uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we, he's, he's, he's played him. once. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's so anyway, the first um, injury. So we're playing on Wednesday night. We're playing in two nights' time, Burnley. Um, what do we think? Is that a home game or away? Oh, so it's difference it's at home. I yeah. yeah. Um, I can't remember what happened in Burnley. Was that one all? can't remember. It might have been a draw. Yeah. On a go. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think if we carry on playing like we're playing, I think that we, you know, we should win it. I think yeah. we should win it. Burnley are a tough team for us to play against. They've bullied us a bit in the past, but I would yes. hope with um, Antonio playing the way he is and us playing, if, if we can play with the same attitude we did against Newcastle and Chelsea, I think we should yeah. win it. Burnley haven't got anything to play for, so. They're, um, they're big lads up front are injured, aren't they? Right, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm so... Got a bit of an injury crisis, so they're, oh, they're not... Yeah. So um, they had Rodriguez and the other guy, um, is it Vidra or something, playing mm. up front yeah. against Sheffield United. Well, right, they, so that you know, compromises their usual style then, doesn't it? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. But, um, they were right in that game and Sheffield United are very good. So, um, you know, I yeah. don't think Bernie's... That Bernie's a, you know, they're a tough nut to crack and they've, yeah, still got, yeah. they've still got potential European football to play for. So. Right, OK. Um, they, they won't just roll over, I don't No, think. I don't mean they'll roll over, but I think that West Ham, uh, you know, what I'm saying is, with the performances in the last two games, cliche as it sounds, we shouldn't really be worried about anyone if we maintain that level of performance. No, I agree. But it's a yeah. big if. Yeah, it is a big if. Yeah, confidence is going to really have uh, sort of turned a corner now, I think. It's like, you know, that they'll be they'll be pleased with the way they played in those last two games, especially because they played so badly in the two previous ones. Yeah. I think they'll be yeah. they'll be buoyed by how well they played. They should have belief now, shouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah it, absolutely. It'll be a different challenge. We'll have more of the ball and we'll have a, a defence to break down. So, yeah, true. you know, a slightly different game to the ones that we've played so far, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, and no, I think we should have enough to, to 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 win it. Shouldn't be fearing it, definitely. Yeah. And and so, massive incentive because if I think if we win that, we'd one win away, aren't we, from being pretty much yeah, top. yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, we're in a good position now, you know, because there's there's a few games for us to pick up points in, and we're four points clear, but effectively five because of our goal difference. So. Yeah. Yeah. Re- really, we've got. It feels like we've got plenty of time to pick up the extra points we need. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You don't want anything sitting on that Villa game at the end of the. That definitely game. not. No, definitely no. not. No. So predictions for Wednesday? Um, I think it'll be. I think it'll be tough. I think we might nick it one nil. Yeah, yeah. Sam, I'm gonna say two one West Ham. Two one. I might go for an adventurous three one. Interesting. Uh, we, you know, we're sort of much better at set pieces now, aren't we? Yeah. Bowen puts in a good corner, doesn't Fantastic he? It, corner from it's Bowen. It's and... in with a bit more pace than yeah, the sort and... of floated Mark Noble corner. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's a brilliant corner he takes. It's the same every time, but it's just you can't you can't legislate for it. Yeah. And, yeah. With, and with Suchek going for the back post, it causes yeah. chaos because... They don't know what to do because they've already got Diop to worry about. Right? Yeah. They're all looking at Diop, then they've got Bonner and Rice, and then but Suchek is like, we're a nightmare at corners, yeah. absolute nightmare. Yeah. yeah, if you put them in the right spot. I wonder if there's been a bit of Nolan influence on that because it is, they're going yeah. back to the, the back stick corner to Tompkins yeah. that he used to get on the end of in that championship season. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly the sort of thing you think. And I was also wondering about Kevin Nolan's influence on, 
on um, Antonio's recent performances, which are very physical, letting the defenders know you're about, never letting up. And I was thinking that's the sort of thing that, that Kevin Nolan must be great at coaching. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's a good feeling going into that game. And, it, yeah, it feels to, to, to finally be, you know, to return to being sort of uh, a bit decent uh, set pieces because we were just awful under Pellegrini, weren't we? I mean, yeah. we couldn't defend them and we didn't look like we'd worked on them in a kind of attacking sense at all. What well, I feel like now is we're a giant team. We're a team of giants, and when Halaire comes back, we'll be even bigger. And that's yeah, a nightmare yeah. for oppositions, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Suchek really does make a big difference. Mm. Um, all right, well, there we are. Uh, that's probably enough for this week's uh, Stop Hammer Time. My name is Phil Whelan. Uh, I've been joined this week by Jim Grant. Cheerio. And Sam Delaney. All the best. Come on, you irons. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.